0: Chapter 5 of Witching Hill by E. W. Horning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Angel of Life Copplestone was the first of our tenants who had taken his house through me, and I was extremely proud of him. It was precisely the pride of the mighty hunter in his first kill, for Copplestone was big game in his way, and even of a leonine countenance with his crested wave of tawny hair and his clear, sunburnt skin. In early life, as an incomparable oar, he had made a name which still had a way of creeping into the sporting papers, and at forty-five the same fine figure and untarnished face were a walking advertisement of virtue. But now he had also the grim eyes and stubborn jaw of the man who has faced big trouble he wore sombre ties that suggested the kind of trouble it had been and he settled down among us to a solitude only broken in the holidays of his only child then a boy of twelve at a preparatory school i first heard of the boy's existence when Coplestone chose the papers for his house anything seemed good enough for the three reception rooms and usual offices but over a bedroom and a playroom on the first floor we were an hour deciding against every pattern in the books, and then on the exact self-colour to be obtained elsewhere. It was at the end of that hour that a chance remark about the evening paper and the latest cricket led to a little conversation, insignificant in itself, yet enough to bring Coplestone and me into touch about better things than house decoration. Often after that, when he came down of an afternoon, he would look in at the office and leave me his pall mall. And he brought the boy with him on the first day of the midsummer holidays. Ronnie's a keen cricketer at present, said Coplestone on that occasion, but he's got to be a wet bob like his old governor when he goes on to Eton. That's what we're here for, isn't it, Ronnie? We're going to take each other on the river every blessed day of the holiday. Ronnie beamed with the brightest little face in all the world. He had bright brown eyes and dark brown hair, and his skin burned a delicate brown instead of the paternal pink. His expression was his father's, but not an atom of his colouring. His mother must have been a brunette and a beautiful woman. I could not help thinking of her as I looked at the beaming boy, who seemed to have forgotten his loss, if he had ever realised it. And yet it was just a touch of something in his face a something pensive and constrained when he was not smiling that gave him also such a look of Coplestone at times but as a rule ronnie was sizzling with happiness and excitement and it was my privilege to see a lot of him those hot holidays copplestone did not go away for a single night or day most mornings one met him and his boy in flannels on their way down to the river laden with their lunch. But because the exclusive society of the best of boys must eventually bore the most affectionate of men, I was sometimes invited to join the picnic, and on Saturdays and Sundays I accepted more than once. Those, however, were the days on which I was nearly always bespoke by Uvo Delavoye, and once when I said so, it ended in our all going off together in a bigger boat, that day marked a decline in ronnie's regard for me as an ex-member of a minor school eleven it was not perhaps that he admired me less but that Delavoy, who played no games at all had nevertheless a way with him that fascinated man and boy alike with ronnie it was a way of cracking jokes and telling stories and taking an extraordinary interest in the boys preparatory school so that his rather small beer came bubbling out of a sparkling brew that Coplestone himself had failed to tap. Then, Uvo could talk like an inspired professional about the games he could not play, about books like an author, and about adventures like a born adventurer. In Egypt, moreover, he had seen a little life that went a long way in the telling. Conversely, one always felt that he had done a bigger thing or two out there than he pretended. To a small boy, at all events, he was irresistible. Had he been an usher at a school like Ronnie's, he would have had a string of them on either arm at every turn. As it was, a less sensible father might well have been jealous of him before the holidays were nearly over. But it was just in the holidays that Copplestone was at his best. When the boy went back in September, we were to see him at his worst. In the beginning he was merely moody and depressed, and morose towards us, too, as creatures who had served our turn. The more we tried to cheer his solitude, the less encouragement we received. If we cared to call again at Christmas, he hinted, we should be welcome, but not before. We watched him go off bicycling alone in the red autumn afternoons. We saw his light on half of the night. Late as we were, he was always later, and now he was never to be seen at all of a morning but his grim eyes had lost their light his ruddy face had changed its shade and ere long i saw him reeling in broad daylight Coppleston had taken to the bottle and as a strong man takes to everything without fear or shame yet somehow i felt it was the first time in his life so did Delavoy but on other grounds i did not believe he could have been the man he was when he came to us if this curse had ever descended on copleston before yet he seemed to take it rather as a blessing as a sudden discovery which he was a fool not to have made before this was no case of surreptitious shame-faced tippling it was a cynically open and defiant downfall at once an outrage on a more than decent community and a new interest in many admirable lives. Soon there were complaints, which I was requested to transmit to Copplestone in his next lucid interval, but I only pretended to have done so. I thought the complainants a set of self-righteous busybodies, and I vastly preferred the goodwill of the delinquent. That was partly on Ronnie's account, partly for the sake of the man's own magnificent past, but partly also because his presence seemed to me a fleeting phase of sheer insanity which would end as suddenly as it had supervened the form was too bad to be true even if Coplestone had ever shown it before and there was now some evidence that he had not delavoye had come down from town with eyes as bright as ronnie's you remember sorry biggerstaff by name he was second for the diamonds the second year Coplestone won them and he won them himself the year after i met him to-day with the man who lunched with me at the united university i told him we had copleston down here and asked him if it was true that he had ever been off the rails like this before only without breathing a word about his being off them now sorry biggerstaff swore that he had never heard of such a libel or struck a more abstemious hound than harry copleston, "'or ever heard of him being, or ever having been anything else. "'So you must see what it all means, Gilly. "'It means that he's never got over the loss of his wife.' "'But that happened nearly three years ago, Ronnie told me. "'Why didn't the old boy break out before? "'Why save it up for Witching Hill?' "'I know what you're going to say.' "'But isn't it obvious? "'Our wicked old man drank like an aquarium.' his vices are the weeds of this polluted soil they crop up one after the other and with inveterate irony he's allotted this one to the noblest creature on the place it's for us to save him by hook or crook or rather it's my own hereditary job and how do you mean to set about it you'll be angry with me gilly but i shan't be happy till i see his house on your hands again it's the only chance to drive him into fresh woods and pastures new. I was angry. I declined to discuss the matter any further, but I stuck to my opinion that the cloud would vanish as quickly as it had gathered. And Coplestone, of all men, was man enough to stand his ground and live it down. But first he must take himself in hand, instead of which I had to own that he was going from bad to worse. He was a man of leisure. "'and he drank as though he had found his vocation in the bottle. "'He was a lonely man, and he drank as though drink was a friend in need "'and not the deadliest foe. "'He was the only drunkard I ever knew who drank with impenitent zest, "'and I saw something of him at his worst. "'He was more approachable than he had been before his great surrender. "'All October and November he kept it up, "'his name a byword far beyond the confines of the estate.' and by december he must have been near the inevitable climax then he disappeared the servants had no idea of his whereabouts but he had taken luggage that was the best reason for believing him to be still alive until he turned up with his boy for the christmas holidays it would be too much to say that he looked as he had looked last holidays the man had aged he seemed even a little shaken but not more than by a moderate dose of influenza and to a casual eye the improvement was more astounding than the previous deterioration especially in its rapidity his spirits were at least as good as they had been before his hospitality in keeping with the season i ate my christmas dinner with father and son and Delavoy and i first footed them on new year's morning What was most remarkable on these occasions was the way Copleston drank his champagne, with the happy moderation of a man who has never exceeded in his life. There was now no shadow of excess, but neither was there any of the weakling's recourse to the opposite extreme of meticulous austerity. A doctor might have forbidden even a hair of the sleeping dog but to us young fellows it was a joy to see our hero so completely his own man once more early in january came a frost a thrilling frost with skating on the gravel pit ponds beyond the village it was a pastime in which i had taken an untutored delight all the days of my northern youth and now i put in every hour i could at the clumsy execution of elementary figures but coplestone had spent some winters in switzerland and he was a past master of the continental style ordinary skaters would form a ring to watch his dazzling displays and those who had not seen him in the autumn must have found it hard to credit the whispers of those who had his pink skin regained its former purity his blue eyes shone like fairy lamps and the whole ice rang with the music of his edge as he sped careening like a human yacht. It was better still to watch him patiently imparting the rudiments to Ronnie, who picked them up as a small boy will, and worked so hard that the perspiration would stand upon the smooth brown face for all that wondrous frost. It froze, more or less, all the rest of those holidays, and the Copleston never missed a day until the last of all. I was hoping to find them on the ice at dusk, if only i could manage to get away in time but early in the afternoon uvo delavoye came along to disabuse my mind that young ronnie's caught a chill said he i thought he would it'll keep him at home for another day or two so the ill wind may blow old Coplestone a bit of good i'm feeling a bit anxious about him gilly wild horses won't drag him from this haunted hill just at this moment, however, he's on his way to Richmond to see if he can get Ronnie the new wisden, and I'm sneaking up to town because I know it's not to be had nearer. I was wondering if you could make time to look him up while we're gone. I made it there and then, at the risk of my place. It was not so often that I had Ronnie to myself, but at the very gate I ceased to think about the child. A Pickford van was delivering something at the house, at a glance i knew it for a six-gallon jar of whisky to see poor copleston some little way into the easter term ronnie lay hot and dry in his bed but brown and bright as he had looked upon the ice and sizzling with the exuberance of a welcome that warmed my heart he told me of course that it was awful rot losing the last day like this but on the other hand he seemed delighted with his room he always was delighted with something and professed himself rather glad of an opportunity of appreciating it as it deserved indeed there was not a lazy bone in his little body and i doubt if he had spent an unnecessary minute in his bedroom all the holidays but they really were delightful quarters those two adjoining rooms for which no paper in our stock had been good enough both were now radiant in a sky-blue self-colour that transported one to the tropics, and certainly looked better than I thought it would when I had the trouble of procuring it. In the bedroom the blue was only broken by some simple white furniture, by a row of books over the bed, and by groups of the little eleven in which Ronnie already had a place, and photographs of his father at one or two stages of his great career. I was still exploring when an eager summons brought me to the bedside. Let's play cricket, cried Ronnie. Do you mind? With a pack of cards? My own invention? Everything up to six counts properly. All over six count singles, except the picture cards, and most of them get you out. King and Queen are caught and bowled, but the old knave's Mr. Extras. Capital, Ronnie, said I. Shall it be single wicked between us two, or the next test match with Australia? Ronnie was all for the test, and really the rules worked very well. You shuffled after the fall of every wicket, and you never knew your luck. Tom Richardson, the last man in for England, made sixty-two, while some who shall be nameless went down like ninepins in the van. In the next test, at Lord's, we elaborated the laws to admit of stumping, running out, getting leg before, and even hitting wicket but the red kings and queens still meant a catch, or what Ronnie called a row in your timber yard. And so the afternoon wore on until I had to mend the fire and light the gas, and then somehow the cards seemed only cards, and we put them away for that season. I forget why it was that Ronnie suddenly wanted his knife. I rather think that he was deliberately rallying his possessions about him in philosophic preparation for a lengthy campaign between the sheets in any case there was no finding that knife but something much more interesting came to light instead i was conducting the search under directions from the bed but i was out of sight behind the screen when i kicked up the corner of loose carpet and detected the loosened board here thought i was a secret repository where the missing possession might have been left by mistake there were actual marks of a blade upon the floor this looks a likely place i said but i did not specify the place i meant and the next moment i had discovered neither knife nor pencil but the soiled unframed photograph of a lovely lady there it had lain under the movable bit of board which had made a certain noise in the moving that same second ronnie bounded out of bed and i to my feet to chase him back again who told you to look in there give that to me this minute no no please put it back where you-where you found it his momentary rage had already broken down in sobs but he stood over me while i quickly did as he begged and replaced the carpet then i tucked him up again but for some time the bed shook under his anguish I told him how sorry I was, again and yet again, and I suppose eventually my tone betrayed me. "'So you know who it is?' he asked, suddenly regarding me with dry, bright eyes. "'I couldn't help seeing the likeness,' I replied. "'It's my mother,' he said unnecessarily. His manner was curiously dogged and unlike him. "'And you keep her photograph under the floor?' "'Yes, you don't see many about, do you?' he inquired, with precocious bitterness. "'There was not one to be seen downstairs. "'That I knew from my glimpse of the photograph under the floor. "'There was nothing like it on any of the walls, nothing so beautiful, "'nothing with that rather wild, defiant expression "'which I saw again in Ronnie at this moment. "'But why under the floor?' I persisted, guessing vaguely, though I did." you won't tell anybody you saw it there not a soul you promise solemnly you won't say a single word about it if i tell you something not a syllable well then it's because i don't want daddy to see it for fear it would grieve him i suggested at the end of his broken sentence and i held my breath in the sudden hope that i might be right for fear he tears it up the boy said harshly "'He did that once before, and this is the last I've got.' I made no comment, and there were no further confidences from Ronnie. So many things I wanted to know, and could not ask. I could only hold my peace and Ronnie's hot hand, until it pinched mine in sudden warning, as the whole house leapt under a springy step upon the stairs. "'Not a word to anybody, you know, Mr. Gillen?' "'Not one, to a single soul, Ronnie.' but it was with a heavy seal that was thus placed upon my lips. Heavy as lead when I discussed the child with Uvo Delavoye, and that was almost every minute that we spent together for days to come. For Ronnie became very ill. In the beginning it was an honest chill. The chill turned to that refuge of the general practitioner, influenza. Double pneumonia was its last, most defiant stage, the local doctor made no mistake about that and cobblestone appealed in vain against the verdict before specialists who came down from london at a guinea a mile it was a mild enough case so far the boy was strong and healthy and capable of throwing off at least as much as most strong men he was also a capital little patient and Coplestone a magnificent patient's father he did not harry the doctors he treated the elderly scotch nurse like a queen and he was not always in and out of the sick-room by day and he never set foot in it during the night in the daytime delavoye took him for long walks and i would sit up with him at night until he started nodding in his chair the first night he said you must have some whisky gillen i've got a new lot in and when i said i seldom touched it i know you don't in this house he rejoined With his hand for an instant on my shoulder. But that's all right, Gillen. Do you happen to know much about Dr. Johnson? Hardly anything. You should try Uvo. Well, I don't know much myself, but I always remember that when the poor old boy was dying, he refused the drugs which were giving him all the peace he got, because he said he'd made up his mind to render up his soul to God unclouded. Now I come to think of it, there's not much analogy," continued Coplestone, with a husky laugh. But I know I'd rather do what Dr. Johnson wouldn't, than go up clouded to my little lad, if ever he wanted me. And he took about a teaspoonful from a mistaken sense of hospitality, but no second allowance as the night wore on. The next night I was able to refuse without offending him. After that the decanter was never touched yet once or twice i saw the stopper taken out in sheer absence of mind only to be replaced without flurry or hesitation self-control i never knew a man with more it came out every hour that we spent together and before long it was needed almost every minute one day delavoye dashed into the office in town clothes and with a tragic face they want a second nurse it's come to that already he said i'm going up about it now but isn't that the doctor's job i asked liking the looks of him as little as his news i can't help it if it is gilly i must lend a hand somehow or i shall crack up it's little enough one can do besides being day nurse to poor old copleston and this afternoon he's asleep for once what a great chap he is gilly and will be ever after if only we can pull the lad through and then get both of them out of this. But it's two lives hanging on one thread, and that cursed old man of mine trying all he knows to cut it. I'll euchre him, you'll see. My hook or crook, I'll balk him. But white clouds were tumbling behind the red houses opposite, and Delavoye dashed out again to catch his train, like the desperate leader of a forlorn hope, leaving his dark eyes burning before mine and his wild words ringing in my ears quite apart from the point on which he was never sane he seemed to have lost the otherwise level head on which i had learned to rely at any crisis but Copplestone still kept his and him i admired more and more he still took his exercise like a man refrained from harrying nurse or doctor showed an untroubled face by the sick-bed but avoided the room more and more, and altogether during the terrible, delirious stages. "'If I were to stay there long,' he said to me once, "'I should make a scene. I couldn't help it. "'There are more things than one to cloud your mind, "'and I've got to keep mine unclouded all the time.' He kept it very nearly serene, and his serenity was not the numbness of despair, which sometimes wears the same appearance. FOR I DO NOT THINK THERE WAS A MOMENT AT WHICH Coplestone DESPAIRED. HE HAD MUCH TOO STOUT A HEART. THERE WAS NOTHING FORCED OR UNNATURAL IN HIS MANNER. HIS FEELINGS WERE NOT DEADENED FOR AN INSTANT, YET NOT FOR AN INSTANT WOULD HE GIVE THEM RAIN. ONLY OUR SOBER VIGILS CUT DEEPER LINES THAN HIS EXCESSES BEFORE CHRISTMAS, AND EACH NIGHT LEFT HIM A HARD YEAR OLDER. WE SPENT THEM ALL DOWNSTAIRS IN HIS STUDY neither of us was a chess-player and i was all unversed in cards but sometimes we played draughts or dominoes by the hour as though one of us had been ronnie himself often we talked of him but never as though there were any question of his eventual recovery copleston would only go so far as to bemoan the probability of an entirely lost hockey term and his eye would steal round at the photograph of last year's hockey eleven at ronnie's little school in a place of honour on the mantelpiece where indeed it concealed one of his most heroic trophies fitted and proportioned like half a hundred others on the estate that study of Copplestone's is one of those witching hill interiors that time cannot dismantle in my mind it was filled with the memorials of a brilliant boyhood there were framed photographs of four cambridge crews of two Eton eights, of the Eton society with cobblestone to the fore in white trousers, of the long low wall with trees behind it, and of the old grey chapel behind the trees. There were also a number of party-coloured caps under suspended oars, and more silver in the shape of cups, salvers, and engraved cigarette-boxes than his modest staff of servants could possibly keep clean. Over the mantelpiece hung the rules of the Eton Society, under glass, with a trophy of canes decked with light blue ribbons. "'It all looks pretty blatant, I'm afraid,' said Coplestone apologetically. "'But I thought it would interest Ronnie, and perhaps hound him on to cut me out. And now—' He stopped, and I hoped he was not going on, for this was when Ronnie was at his worst, and the second nurse had arrived.' And now, said Coplestone, the little sinner wants to be a dry bob. I have not naturally a despondent temperament, but that night I, for my part, was wondering whether Ronnie would ever go to Eton at all. The delirious stage is always terrifying to the harrowed ignoramus watching by the bed. It is almost worse if one is downstairs trying not to listen, yet doing little else and without the nurse's calm voice and experienced eyes to reassure one. That was how I spent that night. The delirium had begun the night before, and had been intermittent ever since. But Coplestone was not terrified. He kept both nerve and spirits like a hero. His thought for me brought a lump into my throat. Since I refused to leave him, I must take the sofa. He would do splendidly in the chair. He did better than I could have believed possible. He fell peacefully asleep, and I sat up watching his great long limbs in the lowered gaslight, but always listening while I watched. Ronnie had not the makings of his father's fine physique. That was one of the disquieting features of the case. He was fragile, excitable, highly strung, as I felt his poor mother must have been before him and he was tragically like his hidden portrait of her. I saw it as often as I was permitted a peep at Ronnie. What had she done amiss before she died? That was perhaps the chief thing I wanted to know about her, but after my pledge to Ronnie, I felt unable even to discuss the poor soul with Delavoy. But she was only less continually in my mind than Ronnie himself, and tonight it seemed she was in his as well. Oh, mummy, mummy, darling, my very, very own little mummy. God knows what had taken me upstairs, except the awful fascination of such wanderings, the mental necessity of either hearing them or knowing that they had ceased. On the stairs I felt so thankful they had ceased. It was in the darkened playroom, now a magazine of hospital appliances, kettles, bottles, and oxygen apparatus it was here i heard the joyous ravings of his loving little heart here on the threshold between his own two rooms that i even saw him with his thin arms locked round the neck of the young nurse who had taken over the night duty she heard me she came to the door and stood in silhouette against the cheerful firelight of the inner room its glow just warmed one side of her white cap and plain apparel then glanced off her high white forehead and made a tear twinkle underneath he thinks i'm his mother she whispered and i'm letting him i went out and pulled myself together on the landing before sneaking back into the study without waking cobblestone in the morning i was dozing behind my counter without compunction for the vigil had been an absolutely sleepless one for me when the glass door opened like a clap of thunder, and in comes Delavoye rubbing his hands. The doctor's grinning all round his head this morning, he crowed. You may take it from me that there's a lot of life in our young dog yet. What's his temperature? Down to a hundred and a bit. One thing at a time. They've scotched that infernal delirium at all events. Since when? Sometime in the night. He's not talking any rot this morning. But he was fairly raving after midnight. I went up and heard him myself. Uvo broke into exulting smiles. Ah, Gilly, said he, but now we've got an angel abroad in the house. You can almost hear the beating of her wings. Is that your own, Uvo? No, it's a bit of a chestnut in these days. But it was said originally of the angel of death, Gilly. "'and I mean the opposite sort of angel together.' "'The young nurse?' "'Exactly. She's simply priceless, but I knew she would be.' "'You knew something about her then?' "'Enough to bring her down on my own yesterday and blow the doctor, "'but he's all for her now.' "'So indeed was I, for though a tear is nowhere more out of place "'than on the cheek of a trained nurse,' yet in none is it such welcome evidence of human interest and affection. And there was the tender tact of the pretense to which she had lent herself before my eyes, even as a memory it nearly filled them afresh. Yet I could not speak of it to Coplestone and to Delavoye I would not, lest I were led into betraying that which I had promised Ronnie to keep entirely to myself. Nurse Agnes, we all called her, but i for one hardly saw her again save on the daily constitutional in a grey uniform and flowing veil the fact was that the improvement in Ronnie was so marked so splendidly sustained that both his father and i were able to get to bed again the boy himself had capital nights and said he looked forward to them on the other hand for final sign of approaching convalescence he became just a little difficult by day. Altogether, it was no surprise to me to learn that two nurses would not be necessary after the second week. But I was sorry to hear it was Nurse Agnes who was going, and I thought that Uvo Delavoye would be sorrier still. There was something between them, I felt sure of that. His rushing up to town to fetch her down, the absurd grounds on which he had pretended to justify that officious proceeding. AND THEN HIS CANDID ENTHUSIASM NEXT DAY WHEN HIS PROTEGÉ HAD SHOWN HER QUALITY, ALL THESE WERE SUSPICIOUS CIRCUMSTANCES IN THEMSELVES. YET BY THEMSELVES, AT SUCH A TIME, THEY MIGHT EASILY HAVE ESCAPED ONE'S ATTENTION. IT WAS A MORE THAN SUSPICIOUS CIRCUMSTANCE THAT BROUGHT THE WHOLE TRAIN HOME TO ME. I WAS GETTING MY EXERCISE ONE MIDDAY WHEN THERE WAS NOTHING DOING suddenly i saw nurse agnes ahead of me getting hers her thin veil flew about her as she stepped out briskly but i was walking quicker still in any case i must overtake her and it was a chance of hearing more good news of ronnie for we never saw anything of her at night except in firelit glimpses through the sick-room door evidently these were not enough for uvo either presently i espied him sauntering ahead and when Nurse Agnes overtook him, instead of my overtaking her, he hardly took the trouble to lift his hat. But they walked on together at a pace between his and hers, while I waited in a gateway, before turning back. So that was it. I was delighted for Uvo's sake. I tried to feel delighted altogether. At any rate, he had chosen a wonderful nurse, but really I had seen so little of the girl if that was the word for her in the apparent absence of other objections i was prepared for a distinct grievance on the score of age however she was going that was something and uvo did not seem particularly cut up about it after all but he had brought the cab for her himself when the time came he did not come in but i saw him through the window as i sat at draughts once more with Coplestone. "'because it was Saturday afternoon, and Ronnie was not quite so well. "'This must be for Nurse Agnes,' I said innocently. "'It seems a pity she should go so soon.' "'But she's not going yet,' cried Copleston, upsetting the board. "'She's going this evening. The other nurse told me she was. "'Of course I've got to see her before she goes.' "'I fancy that's her cab,' said I, unwilling to give Delavoye away.' but feeling much more strongly that Nurse Agnes had saved Ronnie's life. "'I didn't hear the bell,' said Coplestone. "'Still, I believe that's Nurse Agnes on the stairs.' I had heard one creak, but only one, and the nurse was on tiptoe outside the door as Coplestone opened it. She might have been a thief, she seemed so startled. "'Why, nurse, what do you mean by trying to give me the slip?' he said in his hearty voice. "'Do you know they all tell me you've saved my little chap's life? "'And yet I've hardly seen you all the time. "'You'd always fixed him up for the night by the time I'd finished dinner, "'and I've been so late in the morning "'that we've kept on missing each other at both ends. "'You've got to spare me a moment now, you know.' But Nurse Agnes would only stand mumbling and smiling in the half-lit hall. "'I—I I mustn't lose my train,' was all I heard. And then I realized that even I had only heard her voice once before, and that now it did not sound the same voice. It was not meant to sound the same, that was why. I had it in a flash, and in that flash I saw that Nurse Agnes had been keeping out of our way all these days and nights, keeping us out of her way by a dozen tacit little regulations, which had seemed only proper and professional at the time but a fiercer light had struck Cobblestone like a lash across the eyes, and he started back as though stung and blinded, until Nurse Agnes tried to dart past the door. Then his long arm shot out, and I shuddered as he dragged her in by hers. "'You!' he gasped, and his jaw worked as though he had been knocked out in the ring. "'Yes,' she said coolly, facing him through her veil, "'and they're quite right,' I've saved your boy for you. Do you mind letting me go? I forced my way past the pair of them and rushed out to Delavoye, waiting with the cab. Who is she? Who on earth is this nurse of yours? I cried without restraint. He drew me out of earshot of the cabman. Has Copplestone spotted her? This very minute. But who is she? His wife. I thought she was dead. No, he divorced her three years ago. Who told you? Ronnie. And you never told me? I promised him I wouldn't tell a soul. The little rascal! He had bound us both. But there was a characteristic difference as between Delavoye and me, and the feelings that we inspired in that gallant little heart. Whereas I had surprised its secret, Ronnie had confided in Uvo of his own free will and accord. And it was he who begged me to bring her, Gilly, when he was at his worst. He said it was his one hope that she could pull him through, that he knew she could. So I found her, and she did. She wasn't really a nurse, but she was his mother. She was his angel of life. Will she be forgiven, I asked? when we had looked askance at the study windows that gave us back only the wavering reflection of shrubs and of the chimneys opposite will she forgive returned uvo sardonically it's always harder for the one who's in the wrong and there's always something to be said for him or her does she know that her husband needs to be saved as well hush said delavoye the door had opened Coplestone came out upon the step and stood there, feeling in his pockets. I held my breath, and the only creature who counted just then, in all that road of bleak red houses, and in all the wintry world beyond, was the great shaken fellow coming down the path. You might give this to the cabby, said he, filling my palm with loose silver. Just tell him we shan't want him now. End of chapter 5